all have heard that expression in one way or another, in one form or another. It's oftentimes used in evolutionary discussions to discuss adaptation uh, of species in terms of if an animal doesn't uh, use a certain part, it will disappear. That was the thinking. I'm not saying I agree with that, but that's one way you see that verse come up, use it or lose it. It's also used of time. Time. It's one of those things where we can either use it, but if we don't use it, pretty soon it's just, it, it just passes by. It's gone. Time. And so that's what I want to talk to you about regarding New Year and new opportunities. The verse that sort of formed the foundation for what I believe the Lord wants us to know is Ephesians chapter 5, verses 14 to 15. So open your Bibles there, and I will meet you there, and we'll read that together. This is one of those verses in my life that it continues, you know, you have those verses that minister to you year after year, and day after day, and minute after minute. This is one of those verses that I, I've memorized and stays close to me. It's very important to me. Verse 14, Paul writes, Therefore he says, God says, Awake! You who sleep, that's very good for after New Year's Eve. Some of you guys are tired. Awake, you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. See then, because that's true, because we were dead in our sins and trespasses, but have been made alive in Christ, and we've been given light, we've been given knowledge and understanding. Because those things are true, verse 15, he says, See then that you walk circumspectly. Not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. So, because we're saved, because we know the truth, because they did the same, Paul is urging them and us to, hey, pay attention, look around, understand the times we live in, understand the days we operate in, and make the best use of every opportunity. I personally in my life, I don't like waste. I'm the kind of guy that when we eat dinner and the kids leave some food on their plate, I pass that over to dad. Come on, I'll finish that off. I'm full already, but I'm not letting that go in the trash can. I'm gonna, is anybody else like that or is it just me? I can't let that food go to waste. I don't know. I just don't like waste. And one of my ongoing sayings is I don't mind spending money, but I hate to waste money. I don't mind spending time, but I hate to, to waste time. So I'm not really into waste. And so when I read Paul writing this about redeeming the time because the days are evil, the word redeem literally means out of the marketplace. Out of the marketplace. Ex agora. Uh, the agora was the marketplace in Paul's day. It's where you went. It's like the mall. So what he's saying is go to the mall except go to the mall of time, of opportunities. And the word time is not speaking of a general length of time, but specific periods of time. And that's why we translate it opportunity. So buy up at the mall of life every opportunity to use it for your purposes. And of course, as Christians, we know that our purposes are whose purposes? God's purposes. So that's the exhortation. And what it is to you and to me is to live intentionally rather than just going with the flow. If we don't make it a point to live for the Lord, it won't happen in our lives because the whole rush of the world, the flood of the Lord, carries us in that direction. So we have to swim against the current. We have to make it our purpose to live godly in this present age 
or it doesn't happen. We go with the flow, and pretty soon the time is gone, the day is gone, the week is gone. How many of you know that? And then the year is gone. And so we look back at 2010, and I ask the simple question, did you use it or did you lose it? 2011 coming up, the question again, will you use it or will you lose it? Carl Sandburg said, time is the coin of your life. It is the only coin you have, and only you can determine how it will be spent. Be careful, lest you let other people spend it for you. Good exhortation. And the purpose, the reason, he says, because the days are evil. The days are evil. Not the specific length of time, but the time we live in. Time when people call what's evil good. And what's good, evil. So, And you know the saying, all that's needed for evil to prosper is for good men to do nothing. That's a, a quote that's been said year after year after year. All that is needed for evil to prosper is for good men to do nothing. And so we have time. And we need to redeem it, as Paul said, to buy it back. To take use of every opportunity. I want to suck every opportunity, every ounce of juice out of the opportunities that life gives me personally. It's my personal goal. I want to squeeze everything I can. I want to lay hold of everything that the Lord has for me. Just some simple thoughts here, some starting thoughts. Anonymous quote, many people look forward to the new year for a new start on old habits. Is that you? You're going to do the same thing this year that you did last year, just get a new start on the old habits? Also, thing to remember, a New Year's resolution is defined like this, something that goes in one year and out the other. New Year's resolution. But I like this the best. One woman said, we will open the book. Its pages are blank. We are going to put words on them ourselves. The book is called Opportunity, and its first chapter is New Year's Day. So here are my starting questions. Again, looking back, what did you do with your life in 2010? Looking forward, what will you do with your life in 2011? What did you do with each moment of each day, of each week, of each month in 2010? Because that's what you did with your life. That's why minutes, that's why days are so important. Because they are what make up your life. And if we are careless with the minutes, then we're careless with the days. And if we're careless with the days, we're careless with the weeks. And if we're careless with the weeks, what are we going to be with? careless with? We're going to be careless with our lives. And God has redeemed us for more than that. God has redeemed us for better than that. So here's what I want you to take away from our study today. I want you to become very sensitive in 2011, starting today with wasted opportunities. I want this group, this church, this fellowship, I love you guys, and we are doing great as a fellowship. You guys have a great reputation in the community, but we haven't arrived yet. We can still do better. We can still do better by taking advantage of more opportunities. So that's the, the challenge for us this New Year's to become sensitive to wasting or to not wasting any opportunity that comes along our path. Jonathan Edwards, great man of God, this was one of his New Year's resolutions. He said, resolved, never to lose one moment of time, but improve it the most profitable way I possibly can. I like that resolution. So here's why this situation, here's why this issue is so important. 
the issue is so important because we have generally a very wasteful worldview, don't we? We have typically a wasteful worldview. And it really affects the way we live our lives as Christians. How did we develop a wasteful worldview? Well, it's probably a very complex issue, and I don't expect to uh, hash it all out right here. But one of the reasons this is developed is because we live based on personal convenience. So if recycling is a hassle, well, we'll just throw it away. Or, or if, if fixing something takes too much time, well, we'll just get a new one. And so partly the world has set us up to be wasteful, hasn't it? By building stuff that breaks. You know, Helga and I were talking, we just had our stove went, uh, you know, all this stuff has been breaking in our house, and our stove is like seven years old. Now we have a stove that we have had for like 20 years. But this new stove we got only lasted seven years, and it was more expensive to fix it than it would have been to buy a new one. And so we're sort of set up in this place now to be wasteful. And it's developed a whole mindset for us. Now, after Christmas, after New Year's, we were looking at our waste lines. We were looking at our waste, like, oh, man, did I eat too much? Did anybody else eat too much this holiday? I ate way too much. But what I was looking at was not my waste, but my waste. We carried, I had to take out the trash after Christmas Eve and after Christmas Day. And I was just floored. I was just looking at it going, wow, what waste. And, and evidently, we're not alone. Listen to some of these statistics on wastefulness. An additional 5 million tons of waste is generated during the holidays. 4 million tons of this is wrapping paper and shopping bags. 4 million tons. Now, in addition to what? 5 million, 5 million tons in addition to what? Well, are you ready for wastefulness? These, you're going to look at these statistics and you're going to go, what? That's amazing. In the U.S., 4.39 pounds of trash per day and up to 56 tons of trash per year are created by the average person. Every year we fill enough garbage trucks to form a line that would stretch from the earth halfway to the moon. Each day the U.S. throws away enough trash to fill 63,000 garbage trucks. Almost one-third of the waste generated by the U.S. is packaging. Uh, all of you parents that have young kids, raise your hands. All right, diapers. An average child will use between 8,000 to 10,000 disposable diapers, $2,000 worth, before being potty trained. Each year, parents and babysitters dispose of about 18 billion of these items. In the U.S. alone, these single-use items consume nearly 100,000 tons of plastic and 800,000 tons of tree pulp. We'll pay an average of $350 million annually to deal with their disposal. And to top it off, these diapers will still be in the landfill 300 years from now. Americans throw away 570 diapers per second. That's 49 million diapers a day. I could go on. Um, the average American uses 650 pounds of paper per year. Americans toss out enough paper in plastic cups, forks, and spoons every year to circle the equator 300 times. Landfills. There's only two man-made structures on Earth that are large enough to be seen from outer space. The Great Wall of China and the Fresh Kills Landfill. That's in New York, I believe. Is that right? New Staten Island? So why do I bother saying all this? Because I'm trying to show you that what we have in our country is a wasteful mentality. And the problem with that is we become Christians. We get saved. We walk with God. But we maintain a wasteful attitude. A wasteful mentality. And our solution to wastefulness has been what? More. Well, because I don't have enough, we must need more. 
If I don't have enough time, well, I need more. If I don't have enough food, well, I need more. If I don't have enough money, I must need more. But God's solution is not more. God's solution is buying up every opportunity that you do have and making the best use of it. Now watch what happens. This is why I love this. Let's go together to Luke 19 and wait till you see what happens when you choose to use or lose your opportunities to be faithful with the things God has given you. Luke chapter 19. And again, I'm not going to give a lengthy verse by verse, <clears throat> excuse me, exegesis of this. We're, we're working to get somewhere to stay on the track that we're on. Luke 19, verse 12. Actually, let's go back to verse 11. Now, as they heard these things, he spoke another parable. So he's telling a story. He's trying to teach them something by giving them an example in story form of something that relates to them in reality. That's a parable. Because he was near Jerusalem and because they thought the kingdom of God would appear immediately. So that's what he's dealing with. He's dealing with one issue. They thought that Jesus Christ was going to set up his kingdom right now, right then. And he was trying to teach them that no, he was going to go away and he was going to come back. It wasn't going to be immediate. So they were going to have to live now in an expectation, understanding that someday he would return. So that's why he tells the parable, to get them to understand this. And here's the parable. A certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. So he called ten of his servants, delivered to them ten minas, units of money, and said to them, do business till I come. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him, saying, we will not have this man to rule over us. Now, this is based on probably a historical incident that Jesus knew of, that they knew of. There was a ruler, uh, a child, a son of Herod the Great, who, who inherited part of the kingdom after Herod died, and his name was Archelaus. And Archelaus had to go away to get the kingdom conferred to him by Rome, and then he came back and he, he met with a lot of resistance when he came back to Judea to begin his reign. So Jesus is telling a parable, but he's using some current events to tell this story. And that's why it, it, it seems like it, it, it may be a kind of a funny situation about this guy going away and then coming back. But that's probably why he tells it that way. So he gives, he's going away, and while he's gone, he gives a unit of money, a resource, to ten of his servants. He gives them how much? Each of them the same. He gives them one mina. He gives them, it's called ten of his servants, delivered to them ten minas. Do business till I come, he says. So it was, verse 15, that when he returned, having received the kingdom, he then commanded these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him that he might know how much every man had gained by trading. So when he comes back, he expects that they would would have done what he told them to do, do business till I come. Take what I've given you, put it to work to advance the kingdom. Right? Are we together? It's simple uh, economics, makes sense. So he comes back and he expects to see, well, what have you gained? The first man he came to and he said, Master, your mina has earned ten minas. He got a tenfold increase. And he said to him, well done, good servant. Now underline this, if you like to do that. Because you were faithful in a very little, have authority over ten cities. Because you were faithful with this one single little mina, I'm going to give you authority over all this 
much more, these ten cities. And the second he came, saying, Master, your mina has earned five miners, minas. Likewise, he said to him, you also be over five cities. He didn't say, five, is that it? Look at that guy over there. He got me ten. He doesn't say that. He says, hey, that's wonderful. You're going to have abilities and, and improvements that are in accordance with how faithful you were and how much you were able to earn from what I had given you, how much you were able to advance that. Then another came saying, Master, here is your mina, which I have kept, put away in a handkerchief. So he didn't advance it at all. He didn't use it at all. He saved it. He put it away to keep it safe. And now he's going to give his excuse. He's going to give, well, I slipped. I told you what's going on. He's going to give his reason. Look what he says. Here's why he didn't advance it or, or gain anything. He says, for I feared you, because you are an austere man. You collect what you did not deposit and reap what you did not sow. And he said to him, to the, the ruler now said, out of your mouth I will judge you, you wicked servant. Okay, now what's going on? This guy, the other guys, they got their mina, their unit of money, and they took it out and they traded and they invested and they, they got a return for it. One got a little more return than the other. But this guy took the mina and he rolled it up in a handkerchief and he put it under his pillow and he kept it there. And then when the, the master returns, the guy says, well, I didn't advance it, but here it is. I'm giving it back to you. It's just what you gave me. I'm giving it back and because I was scared of you. You see, it's your fault, God, is what we would. It's your fault I didn't do it. I was scared I might do something wrong. I was scared I might lose it. I was scared. It's your, you see how we tell, in 2010, did you have a good year? And if you did not, are you blaming someone else for that? Say, well, I didn't have a good year because it was so-and-so. Because it was God's fault I didn't have a good year. Or it was so And this guy does that very same thing. He blames God. And he doesn't know the master. He doesn't know the master accurately. That's not our master. But that's what he says. And the master says, Out of your own mouth I will judge you, you wicked servant. You knew that I was an austere man, collecting what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow. If that's what you thought, truly, then why did you not put my money in the bank that at my coming I might have collected it with interest? So he says to the fellow, if you really believe that, if you really believe that about me, that I was an austere man, then it would have made you at least invested in the bank for a little bit of interest. So what he's saying is that's not really, he's exposing the lie that this guy is telling. That's not really what you thought. Your problem was really laziness. That was the issue for this this servant. It wasn't that he couldn't. It wasn't that he wasn't able or he tried and made a mistake. It was he was lazy and he just didn't get around to doing anything with what God had given him. He missed the opportunity because what happened when the master came back, then it became what? Too, say it, too late. It was too late. It was too late. So, hey, if you really thought that about me, then at least you would have invested it. So now, here's the part I love. He said to those who stood by, take the mina from him and give it to him who has ten minas. The guy that had really done well in using what the master had given him. And, and all the people standing around said, Master, he has ten minas. I mean, why are you giving him more? He's already got ten. And you're taking the one from the guy who only had one. That doesn't make sense to us. Verse 26, it's underlined in my Bible. For I say to you that to everyone who has will be given. 
And from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. But bring here those enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them and slay them before me. So I want to deal with this odd saying. It's kind of a hard, it's like doesn't flow right, verse 26. I say to you that to everyone who has will be given. I mean, what kind of sentence is that? Evidently, Jesus missed some grammar classes or something along the way. Did not do well in English. For I say to you that to everyone who has will be given, and from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. Let me substitute a word in there for you. Faithfulness. Okay, let's try to read it with the word, because that's what this is about, right? Faithfulness. About using what God has given in the time that God has given. So if we say it like this, for I say to you that to everyone who has, has what? Has faithfulness. Will be given. And that's what we saw happen. The guy that had taken the mina, had increased it, had used it, then he was given more. But the one that did not use what was given to him, so everyone who has faithfulness will be given more. And from him who does not have what? Faithfulness. Even what he has will be taken from him. So our answer to the problems we face with wastefulness is, well, we'll waste that, we'll just get more. I'll just buy another one, I'll just get another one. You can't make more time. It's the one thing you can't make, make, well, land. You can't make more land and you can't make more time. And that's why wasting time, wasting opportunities is such a tragedy. More tragic than wasting food, more tragic than wasting money is wasted opportunities. You see, the key, the key to 2011, the key for you guys for 2011, the key for the the 30-somethings for 2011, the key for those of you in your golden years in 2011, you know, God doesn't tell you, well, you know, now it's time to retire on the golf course, you know, or hey, you're still young, nothing's expected of you. God has given you guys something, something, one minor, one something little. God has given all of us something. And we waste, we waste the opportunities. The key, 2011, is to use what God has already given you instead of wanting more. To use, what, to be faithful, because what happens when you use... Look, I've seen it work in my life. I've seen it work in my life, whether it's jobs... Well, let's, let's make some applications of this. Okay, let's do this. We've got a few minutes left. Let's make some very pertinent applications of this principle. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are his workmanship, God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So God has beforehand decided on things that we should do, things we should engage in, that he's laid out for us. He's given us minas. He's given us resources. He's given us gifts. And he says, I'm just looking for you to use those things. So, some of the statistics I shared on, on waste, those are pretty, like, wow, huh? Those were pretty remarkable. What if God had a, a statistic list in heaven of wasted spiritual opportunities? Would we go like, whoa, you know, how many billions of wasted opportunities? What if God could show us a picture of what the world would be like if Christians didn't waste opportunities? It would be a different world, wouldn't it? I mean, you know, I found myself, my wife, my lovely wife, convicted me. I, just, I hate when she does that. But she, 
I used to get up, and I'd get up at, you know, and I, at 7 o'clock, Katie Couric and Matt Lauer were on. And I'd crank it on, and I'd sit there for 30 minutes watching the same thing that's been on for the last two years, you know. It's the election, or it's this thing. It's over and over the same thing. And I'd get mad, or I'd get upset, and she'd say, why do you watch it then? What are you doing? And, and I was like, oh, she's right. You know, she was right. I don't like it when that happens either, but uh, she was right, and I was wrong. You know, and we as Christians, we sit, we look at the TV, and we yell at the darkness. We get mad that there's darkness, and, and instead of shining our light. So I decided that morning, I haven't watched the news. As a matter of fact, we don't even have TV reception, but the point was, I decided that I could watch the news and get grumbly and complaining about what I see in the world. Gas prices are going up to $5 a gallon in 2011. You've all heard it. That's the buzz. And I could complain about those things, or I could sit and read my Bible, pray God to fill me with His Spirit so that I might be able to change the world rather than complaining about the one that exists. So that's what I began to invest my time in. That's a simple application of redeeming the time. Redeeming the time when you're in the car. Fill your car with Christian music CDs. Fill your head with the Word of God. When you're in the car, put on, you know, get sermons on CDs. Get, get whatever you can in your house, in your home. Fill it with the Word of God. Fill it with praises to the Lord. Redeem that time that you're in traffic. How about food? I talked a little bit about waste, food waste. 41 billion pounds of food have been wasted this year. According to a 1997 study by the Department of Agri Agriculture's Economic Research Service, 96 billion pounds of food are more than a quarter of the 356 billion pounds of edible food available for human consumption in the U.S. was lost to human use by food retailers, consumers, and food service establishments. Fresh fruit, vegetables, fluid milk, grain products, and sweeteners accounted for two-thirds of the loss of 16 billion pounds of milk, and 14 billion pounds of grain products are also included in this loss. That's one sort of food waste, but you want to know of a greater food waste? A greater food waste, a couple of things. Number one, the Bible tells us to share our food with the hungry, Isaiah 58. Is this not the fast that I'm desiring, God says, to share your food with the hungry? How about this? Many of you in here have never shared a meal with anybody else outside of your family all last year. You didn't invite anybody for dinner. You didn't share your food with anybody all last year. Matter of fact, you didn't even share in a meal with another Christian family in fellowship, the breaking of bread together. To me, that's wasted food. That food is an opportunity that we have to fellowship to, to open up our home, to open up our heart, to share those things. Just another simple opportunity. You can redeem food by sharing it with another Christian friend, another family, or somebody in need. What about wasting money? Some would say wasting money is giving it to God. That's what I've been told. Someone looked at our budget one year and said, you give that to the Lord? Well, you could put that in savings. You could make a house payment for that, or you could do this or that. You know, you... You're wasting your money, just like they told Mary when she poured out the oil onto Jesus' feet. Why this waste, Judas said. Jesus said, leave her alone. 
leave her alone. She's taking opportunity to anoint my body, and she was the only one who got to do it. Right? The lady showed up at the tomb, and Jesus is already buried. They missed. She was willing to pour it out on the Lord extravagantly while she, was, while she had the opportunity, while she had the resources. Speaking of um, wasting money, wasting money. How much money did you waste last year? Now, I'm not talking about using money. I'm talking about just stuff you wasted on. Haggai. I, I know we're getting close to time here, so I'm going to bring this to a close. Haggai. The prophet Haggai. Again, one of those life verses for me. The word of the Lord came to Haggai, or by Haggai the prophet, saying, Is it time for yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses and the temple to lie in ruins? Now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and bring in little. You eat, but do not have enough. You drink, but you are not filled with drink. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages, earns wages to put into a bag with holes. Anybody say amen to that? I mean, I had the paycheck, just came last week, and it's gone. He goes on to say, consider your ways... He says, you looked for much, but indeed it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, says the Lord of hosts? Because of my house that is in ruins, while every one of you runs to his own house. He says, consider your ways financially. You're so busy ministering to all of your own needs. You're leaving the kingdom, the house of God, in disrepair. And what's the result of that? You think, well, I can't give to God. I can't give to the work of God, because then I won't have for myself. But the truth is, if you don't give to the work of God, What you have will disappear. Even what you have will be what? Taken from you. If you're unfaithful financially, you'll find that you just never have enough money. But you begin to give to the Lord even when you think you can't afford it. And you watch what happens as you're faithful in 2011 financially. And I could go on and on with time and with giftedness and with how we spend our leisure time. Um, But here's what I want to end with. As we, as the, if the folks that are serving communion would come up, and we could dim the lights a little bit, please. I don't have to talk to you about wasting time. We know how we spend our leisure time with Facebook. and Man, you can blow hours on YouTube, just video after video. But for some today, and most of you I know, some of you I don't, I want to talk to you about wasted opportunities for salvation. As we begin to share the communion... Actually, you guys can just grab seats right around there for a few minutes, and if Phil would come forward. We're going to spend a minute. Uh, Phil's going to just lead us in a song, a time of preparation for the Lord's Supper. This is one of those opportunities, the Lord inviting. The Lord inviting you and inviting me to think about what we've just heard. To meditate on that, to consider that. And for some of you, it's an opportunity for salvation. Like in the days of Noah where a whole bunch of people said, wow, God, you know, we don't have time for that. We've got places to go and things to do until the flood came. And then the opportunity was what? Lost. The opportunity was lost. And so I hope you hear my passion, my heart in this, for this fellowship. As I said in the beginning, we come to the communion table and and we consider that our life is not our own. The Bible says, I was bought with a price. My life is not my own. 
So I don't necessarily look at life the way that my neighbors do or my coworkers. Well, I can look at it the way my coworkers do, hopefully, because I work with Pastor Tom and Kay and all of you guys. So they better look at it the way I do. But not all of you work in Christian places and people are going to look at you and they're going to call you foolish for the way you live. They're going to call you foolish for making commitments to the Lord with things like chastity, making a commitment to the Lord for purity, making a commitment to the Lord to be faithful with your body, saying, this is your body, Lord. I want to be faithful with it. You're going to be called fools for saying, I'm going to make a commitment to give my family to the Lord. We're going to spend time serving the Lord together. And and you're going to be called foolish because maybe your kids don't partake of all the quote-unquote opportunities that other kids have by playing a thousand sports, you know, in one season because you choose to go to Bible study instead on, on a weeknight. And on and on it goes. Wow, you could have more if you didn't give. Sure, I could. But would the, would the Lord send leanness to my soul if all I did was consider myself? Good questions to ask, aren't they? So as Phil sings, prepare your hearts. So you guys just hang tight for a few minutes. Search me, O God. Search me and find. Search me, O God. Search me and find any way in me that does not reflect your purity. Refine me, O Lord, in the fire of your gaze, that I might be holy in all of my ways. Take me deeper. instructed the church to do uh, to baptize as well as to share the Lord's Supper you guys may may pass it around and what we're sharing here is is a, a semblance of a meal that causes us to remember what Christ has done and it also causes us to remember then what our responsibility is. So there's an upward part and, and a lateral part both to this. Um, it's for those of us that know the Lord to be reminded because we forget, don't we? We forget. So you guys can go ahead and start uh, passing out the elements. So if you don't know the Lord, again, this is that opportunity to say, you know what? I have been wasting my life. And I want to spend it wisely for the Lord. So, please, as you look back, and maybe you feel guilt or remorse about all the wasted time, the Bible says if any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. Behold, all the old things have passed away. All things are made new. All things are made new. A fresh start. What a great way again to celebrate a new year. To be reminded of a new start. If you're not 
walking with the Lord, if you don't want to walk with the Lord, if it's not what you're interested in and somebody dragged you here today because you were visiting for the holidays, then you are free to let the cup and let the bread just pass by. Let it go on by you. No one's going to look down on you or you don't have to feel ashamed. But if you are here and you and you are looking back and, and meditating on just what a sinful life you've led, then that's exactly what this is for. This is for you. This is for you to be washed and to be cleansed and to get a fresh start. Another one of my favorite, my favoritest passages, I think it relates to the communion. Isaiah 55. This is the invitation to the communion table. Isaiah says, Ho, everyone that thirsts, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come anyway, buy and eat. Yes, come buy wine and milk without money and without price. There's no cost to you. It's a gift. Why do you spend your money for what is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen carefully, carefully to me and eat what is good and let your soul delight itself in abundance. That's the Lord's Supper. That's what satisfies a relationship to the Lord. So as you will be holding in your hands, don't partake of those things yet. I should have said that before. Uh, Hold on to them until everybody is served. And we're just going to spend a few more minutes uh, praising the Lord together. Just holding the elements in our hands. And taking the opportunity to look back on 2010. That's what New Year's is good for, looking back. And maybe you look back on your life and you're here going, Man, what would I be today if it wasn't for the Lord? You know, you've had the Lord in your life and you look back and you go, Praise the Lord, I got saved in 1996. You know, praise the Lord, I got saved in 19, you know, 75. Maybe some of you have been saved a long time. And you look back and you go, Oh, the blood and the body, the cup and the, and the bread. Oh, so thankful. So thankful for what God has done for me. He has rescued me out of the muck and the mire and set me on solid ground. And so we rejoice. We rejoice in the blood. We rejoice in the bread. So Phil, uh, while Phil and Margaret sing and the guys play along, let's take this time as a time to be prayed for. That's what James instructed, right? Pray for one another so that you may be healed. So as they lead, sing along. If there's a need in your life, if you're hurting, if you're sick, if you're confused, if there's something that's, if you're anxious, if you're worried, then come on up and receive prayer. Come and let the Lord into your life. Let Him minister to your deepest soul. I'm just enjoying this so much. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to partake of the bread only together first.
Okay, so the, the little piece of bread that you have, when Jesus with, was with his disciples, he broke the bread, symbolizing and, and uh, demonstrating the brokenness that his body would go through on the cross and before the cross, leading up to the cross. But not for his own sin, but for the sins of the whole world. And that includes me. And that includes you. And this is how Isaiah described it. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, for the ways we've crossed the line. He was bruised for our iniquities, for the way we've gotten twisted. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. By his stripes we got healed. And we get healed, and we can be healed from all the junk and the mess that was in our lives. So that's the bread that he took at the Lord's Supper when they were celebrating the Passover. And he passed it out to his disciples just like we've passed it out to you as they were sitting around the table. Uh, we are sitting facing forward. However, the unity of the fellowship is the same. Whether we face each other, we face forward, we are still reminded that we are one bread, we are one body. And he said, take and eat. And as often as you do it, do it in remembrance of me. So go ahead and eat the bread. Now you're holding the cup still, representative of the blood of Christ. The life of the flesh is in the blood, the Bible tells us. The life of Christ was in that blood that was shed. So as you just hold that, that cup, and some of you are just clinging to it for dear life, like this is everything to me. I mean, and I know it. It is. This is everything. We're going to sing uh, one more song, and I want to remind you that we don't have, we're, we're in a school, we don't have a fancy altar with nice brick or stone and a big cross up here, but you know what the cross looks like. You know what it was all about. And if you've got some sin you need washed away by the blood, then just bring the cup up front, and you can kneel down here while Phil plays this next song. Again, if you need prayer, if you need ministry, just come forward while we sing this next song. It is good to be here with you guys this new year. Uh, watched a video the other day on gurus in India. Right, what does that have to do with communion? I'm getting to that. And it was interesting to watch the way that they would, as they were inducted into the Hindu faith, they have the Ganges River, and they would have ashes covering them all over, and then they would go down into the Ganges River, and they would get in, and that's flowing water. It's, it's living water as opposed to a stagnant pond. It's living, and you get in the water and all those ashes and all the dirt, it's literally washed downstream. You get cleaned. You get cleansed. And you come out, the dirt is gone. It's, it's gone downstream. And that's the picture that I want you to have. Our kids have loved to play in the mud through the years. I mean, we have pictures of them as real little, just out covered in mud. And, and some of you guys have kids, and they do the same thing. They just get covered in mud. Covered in yuck. And you come and you go, oh, it's so cute, but don't touch me. Right? <laughs> We're not having fellowship with you looking like that until you get cleaned up. And then we help them get cleaned up. And God says, man, you're covered with muck. You're covered with dirt. I need to stick you in the living water so the dirt can be washed away 
so we can have that fellowship restored, so we can embrace. And that's what God wants. He laid down his life for you so that you could return, that all that yuck could be washed away downstream, never to be brought back. You can't reverse the direction of that river and get it back. It's gone. Once you're cleansed by the blood of Christ, are you partially cleansed? Are you mostly cleansed? How clean can you get more than what Christ has done for you in a continual, complete healing and forgiveness? Coupled with a complete and unconditional love for you. And he sat with his disciples and he took the cup and he says, this is the cup, not not in your ability, this is not the cup of your goodness. This is the cup of my grace. This is not the cup of your religion. This is the cup of my love. And he said, when you drink it, you remember me. The blood of Christ shed for you. And just as they did, we too are going to close with a song as we say goodbye to 2010. We get a fresh start in 2011. Don't waste opportunities. Make the best use of them all. Serve the Lord, body, mind, and spirit. One last song, and then Phil will excuse you. Let's celebrate.